There we go. Good evening. I hope you can hear me. It's good to see everybody, uh, and especially those of you who are our guests this evening. Uh, thank you so much for making us a part of your Sunday, and we hope that you have a great time and that you feel at home. I want to give one or two shout-outs uh, before I get into the word. I saw Audrey Mbuyazi here a moment ago. She gone? Audrey, that's sad. Wherever you are, hoo-hoo to you from afar, from a distance. I wanted to salute her. And then my good friends Joel and Sarah are back. They had their second baby. We want to give you a shout-out. and Can you stand so everybody can see you? It's good to see you. There you go. Woo! Indeed. Uh, they are accepting Lobola payments up front uh, as of tonight. Um, that would be great. Uh, today, we are at the end of our Frequently Asked Questions series. Um, and it's been a great time. Two weeks ago, we started off by answering the question, who am I? And that this question is the basis for all our tough questions. And that if we know who we are, if we know who God says we are, we stand the chance to do what God has actually called us to do. That what's standing in between you and destiny is you knowing who he thought you were before he, before he gave you into this world. The Bible says, Jer, Jer, Jeremiah 1 verse 5, that God knew you before he even formed you in your mother's womb. It is not your culture that gives you identity. It is God who gives you identity. Last week, uh, uh, Greg and Marsh came up and they shared on what to do when you don't know what to do. The short answer is something, anything, please. That was the short answer of the sermon. But the core of it, was that every single decision you make comes from your values. Whether you do it or not, whether you decide or don't decide, it's a reflection of what you value. And that hopefully as you dig deep in your heart and get to know what you value, you can begin to stack up what you value based on the kingdom principles and you're trying to work your life in such a way that your values and the kingdom values can be one of the same thing. So when, he's, when your values align with the kingdom values, you make choices based on the kingdom. This week, I want us to look at our last remaining question, which is, what is my cause? What is my cause? Um, some years ago, a lady by the name of Malala from Pakistan was taken by the Taliban, and she was shot in the face, and by grace of God, she survived, but... She was shot in the face because she was an activist. She was standing up for and fighting for the rights of women in her country, young girls in her country, to receive education. Stay right to receive education. And so the Taliban did what they did and, and they shot her. And now she lives in the UK and she continues to fight this fight for the people of her nation. When she wrote her book, I Am Malala, which is a great book, the first few chapters, or the first two chapters, tried to unpack how she became the woman that we know her to be. How, how, did we, how did she become so brave? How did she become so courageous in a country that has demeaned, in a country that has oppressed women? How did she manage to stand up above the circumstance and be who she currently is? And so in the first two chapters, she shares the story of how she grew up. And she talks about culture. She said, in her culture, when men are born in a family, the whole family comes together. 
They hang around the crib and they throw money into the crib as a signal that one day this son will grow up to be a blessing to the family. But when women are born in the family, the family comes and no one throws money in the crib because they don't have an expectation that the girl will grow up to be something significant, grow up to do something significant. So they stand around, look at the cot, twiddle their thumbs, maybe eat some food and go home. And she tells the story of how in her life what changed her destiny was the fact that her dad chose to do something different. Her dad brought the whole family in and although they were a poor family, her dad decided to give everyone who walked into the house a coin. They all gathered around the crib and threw money into the crib. And what he was doing in that moment was declaring that this is what will happen to you. You are going to be something. You are going to do something. You will become something significant, not only to this family, but to the families around in this nation. It took a prophetic act from the father to bring the whole family in and bless her so that she might be a blessing. If you are living your life without a conscious understanding that God has formed you with a purpose, with with a desire for you to change the world, to make a difference, your life will reflect what you believe. Your life currently is going in the direction of what you believe. No matter what, no matter how you try and explain it, no matter how much pain you've gone through, your life currently is going in the direction of what you believe. I hope that you believe that before the foundations of the earth, God formed a purpose inside your soul. You saying yes to that, you acknowledging that that exists in your life will change how your life looks like. I'm going to look at one scripture today and then we're going to unpack a whole lot of others. But Ephesians 2 verse 10 is the text I want us to look at. And here's how it reads, Ephesians 2 verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God had, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I want to read that again. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Here's what Paul is saying before I pray. Paul is saying this, that before you stepped foot into this nation, before you stepped foot into the world, God took you into the warehouse of identity, crafted you from the beginning of time, formed who you would be, placed your personalities, your intricacies, all the weirdness that everybody else sees around you. He formed it, placed it inside of you, and he thought to himself, man, this is good. This is great. Not only did he place identity in you, not only did he place personality in you, but he placed, the Bible says, good works formed in Christ Jesus. That he had prepared in advance for the era that you would live in. Now I want you to hear what I'm saying. 
Here's, here's what Paul is saying. When God made you, he had in mind the fact that during your time, Libyans will be enslaved. He had in mind that during your time, women would be raped. He had in mind that during your time, kids would be abducted. Men would be beaten and brutalized. He had in mind that during your time, there would be affliction. There would be corruption. Businessmen and businesswomen would, would be filled with greed. He had in mind in your time. That something would have to happen, therefore he formed you with good works in you. He's already placed that which you need to have in order to make a difference. Because he planned before time that you would exist now during the chaos of life. That's why God is still dancing over you. That's why he's not trying to have a strategy sessions with his angels, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit trying to figure out what they need to do because he had already destined what would happen. And what would happen would come out of you and me. The good works that he had placed inside of us would be the plan A of world change. And so when he formed you, when he gave you an identity... And he placed inside of you good works. The same good works that every day you try to run away from. The same good works that sometimes you look upon and go, ah, maybe there's something else I need to be doing with my life. The same good works that sometimes you compare with other people. And therefore you think that your good works are not enough. When he formed you, he placed good works in you because he knew the kind of difference you were supposed to bring to the world. So, if we are going to have to have a cause, we need to understand that we have been formed with purpose in mind. He, they, you, you will not live one extra day beyond your season. I can assure you that now. You will not live one extra day beyond your season. When your time comes, your time will cometh. Just in case you needed some good old English just to put a little bit of a full stop in that. When your time comes, your time will come. It is your choice. I love the way that Paul puts it. He says, so that you might walk in them. In other words, you get to choose whether you will walk in the good works meant for you or not. You might have to walk in the good works set before time for you in this season of your life. So I want to help you today with understanding how you can walk in the good works, how you can at the very least walk closer to the good works that God has planned for you by doing three very simple things, yet at the same time, three very difficult things. One, you need to strengthen your conscience. Two, you need to decode your context And three, you need to embrace your calling. You need to strengthen your conscience, decode your context, and lastly, you need to embrace your calling. At some point, you might get tired of all my three points, but I'm going to keep going until Jesus comes back. (laughs) Anyway, so let's pray and get to the word. Father, thank you again for this good word that teaches us about all of life, shows us as a mirror before us who we are, who you've made us to be, and most importantly, who you are. This evening, I pray for each and every one of us that we would make a conscious choice to live beyond ourselves, would make a conscious choice to choose 
the right cause so that you might be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. I want to talk to you first and foremost about strengthening your conscience. Strengthening your conscience. One of the things that will weaken your conscience is fear. Whether you like it or not, whether you believe it or not, fear is an educator. And the way it educates your life is painful. It allows you to make decisions based on your circumstances. It teaches you to make decisions based on the pain of your past or the privilege of your presence. Pain, or rather fear, is an educator. How is fear educating you right now? What places in your life are you afraid to talk about, go to, get involved in? Because right there is a sign that fear is a great educator in your life. It dictates where you go, and when you get there, how you do what you do when you get there. It's an educator. It teaches you without giving you the tools to actually accomplish what you're supposed to accomplish. It leads you in a path that you think you should go only to avoid suffering. When you get there, you realize it is so comfortable, so loose, that though you scream, let's make a difference, your life is unchanged. And you end up being, and again, I'm on Facebook, you end up being a Facebook revolutionary than anything else. I will continue to appeal to you. Post whatever you need to post, but do way more work than you do posting. Do way more work than you do posting. Write whatever you need to write. Do way more work than what you post and write on social media. Let it just be a a snippet of what you do in your everyday life. Whenever you post what you post, let it just be a raindrop. So when someone comes into your life and investigates what you have been saying all along, they not only see the values that you lived out, but they are engulfed in the sea of life choices that you've made that are just echoed in a raindrop on Facebook. I'm asking you to choose to live great rather than to look great. It lasts just for a moment, just like beauty It lasts just for a moment. Ladies, that's not for you. Keep it real. You're fine. You're going to make it to the end of time. Okay? You're going to make it to the end of time. Look at the brother next to you and say, oh, shame. (laughs) Well, that's why I'm not sitting next to my wife today. I'm just making sure I'm here. No one's going to say that to me today. Scripture I want us to read uh, that helps us understand how we need to live free of fear. Here's what it says, uh, Galatians 5 verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Why has Christ set us free? For freedom. Why has Christ set us free? For freedom. Why has Christ set you free? For freedom. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. You see, revolutionaries have tasted freedom first. They don't need the cause to have freedom. They don't need to fight for all white lives matter, all black lives matter to have freedom. They don't need that. They need to be free first in order to set other people free. 
Otherwise, your cause will become your prison. Please hear me. I have lost friends and I'm probably going to lose more because of this reason. Your cause does not bring freedom to your life. Your cause doesn't give a reason for your existence. It is Jesus who is the reason for life. Jesus who gives reason for life. So, the way we want to approach the causes in our life, we want to approach them from being set free. From the gospel having worked in our souls, that we are free enough to do everything that he's called us to do, unrestricted by the fear that man tries to put upon us. And so when he sets us free, it's for freedom that he has set us free indeed, not only for us, but for those that he has placed around us. Therefore, we shall not go back to a place of slavery. We shall not go back to a place of being enslaved to fear. We will press on from this place of freedom in order to bring about change. I was having a conversation with my wife this week about some stuff that I've been going through. You know, when you plan a a sermon series, you're trusting and praying to God that it will make an impact to everybody. And all the time, a good preach first starts here before it can get here. Every good preach starts here before it can get here. And these last three weeks have been nothing but sheer conflict to my soul. She's laughing because she knows I was in trouble a little bit. In my soul, that is. I, I, call, I had a chat to Stefan. I said, bro, where have you been? I need you. I'm about to get in more trouble. We need to speak quickly. Right? And we were having this discussion, and I was having a very vulnerable moment, and I said, man, because of all these things that are happening, it, it can't be that fear is more powerful than love. It can't be that people can be imprisoned in fear so badly that they can't even encounter the power of love. And my wife said this to me. She says, next slide, known fear is more powerful than unknown love. (laughs) I had to describe. (laughs) Some of you might think I have two wives. I have to describe who, which wife I'm talking about. She's my squeeze, my kindergarten fight, but the leg portion. Just a leg portion. Anyway. Known fear. This is powerful now. Please hear me. Known fear is more powerful than unknown love. When you walk into a situation and you've been burnt before, you're more likely to be scared to go back because you have known fear in that area. But that's why you need to inject a love that overcomes all things back into that same area that you're afraid to go to. You're not going to have a husband because you've been burnt before. You're not going to have good friends, close friends because you've been burnt before. You're not going to go study that thing you want to study because you're afraid to be burnt like you were burnt before. You've got to inject love that overcomes all things in that place. Otherwise, known fear will become way more powerful than unknown love. What love do you know? What love are you currently knowing? What love are you currently experiencing? What love are you currently drinking from? If you are not drinking from love, you're drinking from fear. 
I'm not even trying to be weird to you. You really are. If you're not drinking from love, you're drinking from fear. And your decisions are being made by the pot that you're drinking from. Choose love. Choose love. Next slide. Proverbs 28 verse 2 says this. When the country is in chaos, everybody has a plan to fix it. But it takes a leader of real understanding to straighten things out. It takes a leader of real understanding to straighten things out. If you're going to strengthen your conscience, you need to do a few things. First of all, you need to listen and learn. You need to listen and learn. The way we have to strengthen our context, our, our conscience within our context is this, is that we need to constantly be listening to the word of God, but we also need to be listening to our culture. We need to be aware, what are they thinking, what are they feeling, what are they going through? We need to be informed revolutionaries rather than ignorant ones. I hope you are reading. I hope you are empowering yourself. I hope you have a plan this December to read at least one book that will allow you to be informed so that you can keep doing what God is calling you to do. Yes, enjoy your holiday, but read. Why? Because that's what leaders do. We're not trying to take a break from changing the world. We are still on this pursuit of doing everything that he has called us to do even while we rest. Read. I am begging you. Read. Read your Bible. Read books. Audio book. Whatever you need to do, read. Learn and listen. So you can strengthen your conscience. Second thing you need to do, you need to pray and imagine. And I want to take a little bit of time on this one. Pray and imagine. To, to pray is critical that you are constantly in this conversation with God. No wonder the revolutionary that was Paul said, I pray unceasingly. I don't stop praying because I constantly need to be in a place where I can, where I can hear the voice of the king. Hear the voice of my father. But this last one, all of us tend to forget, or at least some of us tend to forget. You need to learn imagination. I love the way Erin McManus puts it. He says, most of the people in church live on what is instead of creating a what if. Oh, that was, thank you, Erwin. I don't know where you are. Praise Jesus. <laughs> creating opportunities for people in your circumstance to taste a little bit of what if life was different. To imagine is key. And what's supposed to happen with the church is that we are supposed to be so enthralled with the kingdom, so filled with his word, so filled with time and prayer that when we imagine a different world, we imagine it from the lenses of what the kingdom says about what our situations should look like. It is a practice, a discipline. No wonder Paul had to take years before he went into the mission field to get himself ready. No wonder Jesus had to spend 30 years somewhere out there in the wilderness being a carpenter and only three years of powerful impact because his conscience was strengthened. When he came in, he was able to imagine what it should look like. And as I said two weeks ago, that's why he was able to say things like this. You have heard it said, in order to be a man, you need to be circumcised. But I tell you this, the kingdom says different. In order to be a man, you need to learn to take responsibility. He was able to imagine something different. 
and bring a different solution to the problems, pains, and even the successes of life. Are you imagining something different? Martin Luther King did this so well. He also imagined what life could be like. And in one of my favorite speeches by him, he says this, I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go to the mountain and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. This is why Martin Luther King was the leader. Because he saw something that everybody else couldn't see. And therefore, he could take them somewhere. The reason why you're stuck where you are, or why your family is stuck where where it is, or why your friendship groups are stuck where, where they are, they're waiting on you to see beyond, to see the promised land before they can get there, to taste it. No wonder in, the, in Exodus, they sent out spies to first see it and then come back and say, hey, we can do this thing. And the ones who came back with a bad report, they didn't go at the end of the day. It's the ones who saw it and say, hey, this can be done, who were the leaders. Not only do you need to see it, you need to believe that God can do it. That he can do it. Obama stole that from Jesus. Yes, he can. (laughs) See it. See it and believe that God can do it. Next thing I want to talk to you about is decoding your context. Decoding your context. One of the things that stops us or derails us from decoding our context is we have placed the ownership as to who is responsible to fix problems on someone else. Do you know how powerful the church is meant to be? Yet we still choose to spend most of our time complaining about an insufficient government or an insufficient business model as if They have the kingdom in mind. We expect them to act like kingdom people whilst we are the ones who God has called to think as kingdom people. Now, please, I I always hate the we and them kind of statement, but I want you to get what I'm trying to say. We have placed the responsibility and ownership on somebody else to do it for us. And as a result, we have weakened our ability to decode and transform our context. In fact, the Bible, when you read it, keeps pointing back to the church. It keeps pointing back to Israel. keeps pointing back to God's chosen people. keeps pointing back to you and I as those who are meant to bring solutions. It doesn't try and run away from the fact that you have a responsibility. You and I have a responsibility. And here's the danger in placing our trust in princes of this world. Psalm 146, 3-6 says this, Put not your trust, your hope, in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. I want you to hear this. There is no salvation in government. Please hear me. One of my friends who works in government, 
Andile, he just gave the biggest mm right there. I've never heard him say that so much. He just went mm right there. There is no salvation in government. There is no salvation in business. There is no salvation in education. There is no salvation in all these things. They are important. They are good. God has placed them within cities and contexts so that they could do something. But what the something that they're supposed to do is meant to be infused by kingdom principles. Who's meant to bring the kingdom principles? Us. The reason why they're not working is that they lack kingdom mentality, lack kingdom mindset. There is no one who can help them do that except for us. So some of you who are thinking about going into government and have been discouraged from doing so, go to government. Do what you need to do. Because you are supposed to bring the kingdom principles that allow these institutions to bring about kingdom change. When his breath departs, that is the prince, he returns to the earth, and on that very day, his plans perish. It's done. All those plans right there, all those uh, uh, promises and campaigns and constitutions, all those beautiful things, they die. They don't live forever. They perish. Blessed, though, is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord, his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. I love how he moves from, don't put your trust in the princes. And then he moves into this doxology moment of, of praising how big God is. What's he trying to say to you? Hey, don't put your hope in princes. There is no adjective for princes. But put your hope in God. Here is the adjective for the God that you are now putting your hope and faith in. He made the heaven and earth. He's the one who made the seas and all, the thing, all those things that are within them. He's the one who keeps faith. He gives an adjective to God so that you might understand what you are putting your hope in. What he is capable of doing. This is him. So we need to decode our context, but we need to have this strong conscience and we need to be fully aware that we are trusting in God to bring about the change. We're not trusting in princes. We're not trusting in governments. All these things, God has allowed to come into the nations, but the purpose for them can only be fulfilled in its ultimate level if the kingdom of God is working through them. So here's an exercise taken from Gabe, uh, Gabe Lienz, the founder of Q Ideas. And he takes a community and he asks them to ask these four questions and decode them in their context. Number one, what is wrong? In your context, what is wrong? You might be able to write that down and say what it is. When you've, write it, when you've written it down, what is a creative way to bring a solution? It might not be bringing a solution to the entirety of the problem, but it might be bringing a solution in the direct context that you find yourself in for that specific moment. What creative solution can you bring for that context? Next one, what is confused? What are people confused about? Are they confused about their sexuality? Are they confused about the role of the church? 
Are they confused about the role of the government? What are people confused about? How then can you bring clarity to the things that are confusing people in your community, in your context? Thirdly, what is right? What are the right things that are happening, the good things that are happening? How can you get involved in them, celebrate them, so that you are continuing to bring in the advancement of the kingdom through what is already working? Fourthly, what is missing? That's my favorite one. What is missing? In other words, what has the world not seen yet that we need to show them? How do we create it, form it, make it so they can see something different in their life? I, am, I was so convicted by these four questions that next year we have to have team doesn't know this. I'm sorry, I came up with this an hour ago. You're, yes, thank you so much. We have to have kingdom labs. We have to have moments where we come in groups, we bring a problem, and we think through it through the kingdom lens. Not, not trying to go, oh, there's another problem, there's another problem, there's another. No, no, no. We have to have times we just take a problem, we'll all come being free because we are free indeed. Coming in, with Bibles in hand and a journal and another, maybe a newspaper if you feel like it. And we sit down and we say, here is a problem in my context. Here is a problem in my area. Help me find a solution. And we come together, five, six, eight, ten of us, and we look at it and we break it down so we can strengthen our conscience and understanding and we give guided kingdom solutions to the problems. Here's, here's the deal. We are not asking that we come up with perfect solutions. Here's what, we, here's what we want to do. We want to just take a step and keep stepping and keep stepping. Because the moment we stop stepping, the Bible says evil advances. It advances. It advances in our families. And then we complain about the things that should have been done. But when we are taking steps, when we keep on stepping and we do it, it doesn't work, ah, Thank you, babe. <laughs> we keep on stepping. It doesn't matter to me how many times we get it wrong. The whole concept is my job as your pastor is to help you be an effective minister in your world. And if I can help you to do that, we as a team can help you to do that through even these kingdom labs or whatever for an hour before the service, a few of us, and we keep on working on solutions and actually go and do them and we come back and say, hey, we tried this, it failed. Yeah, we try again next week. And we carry on going and we carry on going that somehow at some point something will break. If it doesn't break out there, it's going to break in here. It's going to break in here and will move you from being a consumer to being a creator of culture. We have to do it. We have to do it. I keep on saying this and I'll say one more time because this is probably the last time I'm preaching this year. I am happy that you're blessed. I am happy that you have loads of money and great amount of friends. This is not why you were made. This is not why you were made. You are made to advance his kingdom. That's why you are made. I am saddened by the fact that you are struggling financially. I'm saddened by the fact that though you tried to get a house, you couldn't get it. I'm saddened by the fact that you lost your car. Someone bumped into your car. Now you're driving around with a car that is less than optimal. But this is not what you were made for. 
You are made to advance the kingdom. You will feel most alive when you're doing what you are meant to do. Why are you feeling less alive today? Because you are focused on things that you are not meant to be focusing on. There is something that you are called to do if you focus on that life is meant to come in that moment. Next slide, please. Connor West says this, Justice is love in public. Love that statement. Very short, punchy, and true. Justice is love in public. What we are trying to do in advancing the kingdom is continuously demonstrate to the world what God's love looks like. What the cross looks like when it's being contextualized. Baby, you've got to stop. <laughs> going to be a long night. I appreciate it. I love you. Thank you so much. I feel it. I get you. Pass it over to Greg now. Let Greg try it out. I'm joking. Uh, you know what? I'll be honest. I'm, I'm needing this now. I had a really tough week, so she knows. That's why she's just, she's just amening everything I say right now. So. She knows. Uh, so I appreciate it. So let's make, let's make his love public. Let's go public with it. Let's not be ashamed of his love. Let's not be ashamed of his cross. Let's keep on bringing it before the world as a way of life, as something that brings solution to all of life. Lastly, we need to embrace calling. We need to embrace calling. There is a phenomenon that I find as we do church together. The phenomenon is this, that most of us are more likely to sign up for a cause than to sign up to preach the gospel. It is good to be honest about that. It's good to have a moment of saying, you're right, uh, you, you're more likely going to find me marching for fees must fall than you will find me preaching the gospel to my next door neighbor. You'll more likely find me doing that and other things than actually, and by the way, those things are good. They need to be marched for. There needs to be a public demonstration of God's love in those things. But let's be honest, we think that those things will make more of a difference than the gospel itself. I know this. Why? Because I speak to you regularly. I've spent the last three years completely enamored about what will it take for you to grow. Sat down with many of you. Before you even came here, laid hands on these chairs, each and every one of these chairs, we walked to these chairs anticipating your presence, knowing that when you come, the kingdom will change you. And spend time praying for you. Trusting for the best for you. Watch some of you succeed. Watch some, some of you fail. Been there when you've lost your friends. Been there when you've lost your parents. I know what you're going through. I asked the Lord one time. I said, Lord, why can't I have X? And he said to me, son, because I want, to, I want you to be in a position where you can identify with your people. With your congregation." I don't mean that word in a weird way. You're not my people. You're not his people. You're not every people. <laughs> you're God's people. But I know I take, 
I like playing around and having jokes, but I take this seriously. There is not one day in my life when you don't come to my mind and trying to figure out, Lord, I don't know how we need to do it. We need to figure out a way to do this because these people are the hope of the world. We need to figure out a way to preach the gospel that will allow the gospel to be compelling not only to them but through them. We need to figure out a way to get into those marriages that are struggling and get the gospel to come and work. We need to figure out a way. It's why we do what we do, and I know having spent time with you, that the average person in this room doesn't believe somehow, fully, that the gospel really works. And it's okay to admit it. So at least we have a place to work from. The the danger in that is that we'll do everything else But the one thing that actually brings salvation, the one thing that actually brings lasting, eternal, and present transformation. And so I I spent time asking people why the imbalance, and I loved the honesty from some of the friends that I spoke to. Here's what came out. One of them said, the gospel does not seem as urgent as social stuff. Secondly, they said, you're more likely to be criticized for the gospel than you are for the social stuff. Third one that I'm trying to remember. (laughs) Is that the gospel seems harder to do than the social stuff. Will you pay a price for both? Yes, but the gospel seems harder to do than the social stuff. This is not how the kingdom is meant to work. You see, this gospel is actually supposed to be the foundation for every other thing that we do because it informs how we do it. And it informs what we are hoping for when we do it. It allows us to move from God, give me what I need to God, give us this day our daily bread. Not just me, not just my family, but give us this day, our daily bread. You see, for those who are not Christians, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18 says this, for the word of the cross, the gospel is foolishness to them. When they consider the gospel, they go, you guys are wasting your time with this gospel crutch business. For those who are perishing, but to us, to us, to you and me who are being saved What is the gospel? Power. Some believe power is in government. Others believe power is in business. Others believe, we believe, power is in the gospel. It is what makes us different. It's what sets us apart from everyone else in the world. It is why when we come into a problem, the way we think is other than anyone else's ability to think about that problem. Because we believe that the power is in the gospel. I'm asking you again to be people of the gospel. That you take time over December and and count again what your priorities are. I know we have made 
discipleship to come across as though it's something that's only for the church so that more people can come, so that more people can tithe, so that more people can come and sing great songs written by Greg, so that more people can, can, can come to the Hub Blog Party. Please hear me. The one who gave us the instruction is Jesus. I did not give it to you. I didn't. Jesus, who had in mind how to change the world, decided the last thing he would say that you and I should do is go therefore and make disciples. Give your time and life to that. Jesus lived 33 years, three years of those he was working hard in his ministry, doing what he was supposed to do. Jesus, the great revolutionary, the one who changed the world. When he died, there was still poverty. When he died, there were still women being raped. When he died, things were still going wrong. When he died, the Roman Empire was still oppressing people. What happened, oh wonderful Jesus, who was meant to change the world? Why are people still messing up Jesus? Yeah, aren't you supposed to have fixed all of it? Jesus says, no. I was supposed to do what the Father told me to do. That's all. So, I want to change the world. I want to make a difference. But I have figured out, after years of making mistakes, years of reading the Bible, years of trying and failing, that the best way to make a difference is doing what the Father has called me to do. And not be afraid to admit that this is it. This is what he's called me to do. You might be called to do something else. I will support you. I will encourage you. I'll even give you money if you need it. But for me, this is what he has told me to do. Embrace your calling. Embrace it. Don't run away from Matthew 28. Go ye, go ye therefore and make disciples. Every single thing that we will ever do in this life will never amount to this call. Making disciples. I want to end with this point. I want to pass me the ball. Then we close. I uh, played basketball when I was living overseas. I was so bad. <laughs> and uh, my Korean friend, uh, Joseph, <laughs> said to me, hey, I thought all black people knew how to play sports. <laughs> it was cool. My senior pastor uh, was from... Um, forgetting the, the city, but he, he went to the college, the same college that Michael Jordan went to. And so he, he was quite good as a ball player, and we used to play. We had a, a basketball court literally on our church premises. Uh, during our breaks, we'd go and play in the basketball court. So I was thinking about that this week. I was reminded of Michael Jordan and how many times he had a moment where it was all dependent on one score to win. One score. One point down. Everybody in the auditorium knows who the ball is going to go to. Everyone in the team is praying that the ball goes to him. <laughs> and Michael Jordan is asking for the ball. He gets the ball. One, two step. Throws it. That was good form. <laughs> throws it. And it's a championship. He did that so many times. So many times whether it was getting into playoffs, whether it was getting into the next round, whether it was winning the championship. 
As I was thinking about that, it made me realize something. Michael Jordan was confident that he would make the shot. Are you confident that you will make the shot? Are you asking for the ball? Are you asking that the ball gets given to everybody except you? (laughs) Give it to Trent. Give it to Jonathan. Give it to to, to Zandi. Give it to somebody else. Or are you asking, hey, give me the ball. I want the ball. In this area of education, give me the ball. Don't give anyone else the ball. Give me the ball. Because when you give me the ball, I am so confident that he who made the heavens and the earth, he who knows everything that's within the sea, he who built everything, made everything, formed everything in and through Christ, he is with me that when I make the shot, it will be the difference maker. Give me the ball. Lord, give me the ball. Don't give it to anyone else. I'm asking for it. And I know if I miss it, you're still going to choose me next week. I'm still going to be in the team. Because it's good. There is no bench. There is no reserves in the kingdom. We, we are not all waiting in the bench going, Oh, please, go, Uncle Graham. Please, Uncle Graham, please, go. When can I go and coach? There is no bench in the kingdom. We are all playing. The question is, do you keep getting the ball or do you keep passing the ball to someone else? When the moment comes to make a difference, do you say, God, give me the ball. I'm ready. The only way you can do that is if you strengthen your conscience, is if you learn to decode your context and you embrace your calling. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again. We thank you again for, man, a a phenomenal year together. I know we've got one more week to go um, as a service, but I, I thank you for the lives changed, lives transformed that we've seen. Friends baptized, new friends coming, other friends and family members being saved, and so much you've done. This evening, Lord, as we consider what our call is, we humbly admit that we don't have it all figured out. We humbly admit that we have chosen easier causes than your cause. The, the, the causes that are in front of us are good causes. They're worthy causes. We need to empower women. We need to strengthen our economy. We need to bring restitution to those who have been broken through past regimes. Lord, I, I get all those things. I'm asking you today, to imprint in our souls your calling. Let it convict us. Let it move us. Let it inspire us. I pray, Lord, for each and every person who's here to know that before they even walked this earth, you had decided the difference that they were going to make, the good works set before time. Let us walk in them for your your namesake, for your glory, for your kingdom. And all God's people said, Amen.